I want to pray this morning before I start to speak to us, pray that God really speaks to us and that the Holy Spirit does something in us, because this isn't just 30 minutes and then we go and have a coffee, okay? This could be the 30 minutes that sets your week up. And, uh, you know, we've just had powerful worship. I've loved leading worship this morning. I love being with our band. They're incredible. But I want to pray for, uh, for me, and uh, I want to pray for you this morning as we delve into the Word of God um, and into a topic that sometimes actually isn't the easiest one to speak on. So, um, you know, I'm going to pray that actually the Holy Spirit does what He wants to do. So, Father God, I thank you today for your house. I thank you for church. I thank you for everything that it is to all of us. To all of us, it will be something different. But Lord, I thank you that it is where your Word is preached. I thank you that it is where the Bible is opened. And I thank you it's where we can find life and fullness and joy and hope and all of everything else that we could think of. God, I thank you today that the Bible has everything we need for life and godliness. And Lord, I pray as we delve into it today, help me, Father. Help me as I speak. Lord, help me say the right words. Help me, God, to articulate well what it is you want to say. And Lord, I pray for for the church this morning that, God, into their lives, they will receive the word of God. And uh, Father God, I pray that we will hear what you need us to hear from heaven this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, it's going to be a bit different this morning, and uh, last week we had, hi guys, we've had a few problems at Grimsby, so our Grimsby folk are back. Um, Last week, um, we had our zone event here for AOG, and uh, I asked my good friend, Pastor Russ Westfield, um, to introduce me when I was speaking, and I thought, who, like, like, who's pastoral, who is like, you know, just really kind and, and all of that, Russ Westfield, okay, so I said to Russ, would you intro me, and he was like, of course I will, Joe, that would be my pleasure, that would be absolutely fantastic, and he got up, and this is the, in essence what Russ said, he said, um, you know, you'll have heard on the news that Storm um, Kyra is on its way, he said, I love the fact that they um, name storms now, he said, and uh, Every time that life is getting a little bit too laid back at Scunthorpe, every time that, you know, life is getting a, you know, a bit too kind of, you know, we're all blasé and, and all a bit laid back, he said, we invite Storm Joe to come <laughs> and to preach. And that was my intro. So I am now in my zone. So I'm zone leader for AOG. I'm now known as Storm Joe. Okay. And, uh, but this morning, Storm Joe is not making an appearance. Okay. And uh, another thing, when, when Roy was praying for me, he said, um, Lord, I thank you that Joe's a refreshing tonic. I, I don't know which one I like more, actually. Um, but, uh, but this morning, it's not going to be a storm, Joe, okay? I want to talk to us today from Romans 8. So if you've got a Bible, can you turn there with me this morning? And uh, I'm going to read from verse 18. I'm reading from the NIV version of the Bible. And uh, so Romans, just a little way into the New Testament. We're going to pick it up, Romans 8. Verse 18, and from the first sentence, you will gather what I'm going to be talking about, which is why Storm Joe is clearly not here this morning. Okay, maybe I might be a little bit towards the end, all right? But um, it says this, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed, For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself would be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. 
We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in pains of childbirth right up until the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who, have the fir- who are the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we eagerly wait for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not have yet... We wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through the wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose." The first line of that, I consider our present suffering not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed. I wanted to talk to us this morning about a subject that you cannot cover in 30 minutes. So I'm going to cover it the best that I can, okay? And then we're going to pray together as a church. But I want to talk to us this morning about considering our suffering, Thinking about Selah, that's, that's the whole thing that we're talking about at the moment. Let's think about, let's consider, let's look at how we do suffering. Let, let's look at what we go through. Let's take a step back and maybe a pause and maybe a sit down and maybe a look at the, the fact that we will all go through some kind of suffering. This text, I think for me, it's the paradox of hope and suffering. It's the, the paradox of the present and the eternal, the pain and the glory. And it's all something that we at some point will go through. It's a paradox that we constantly live in. I love, I've used this illustration so many times before, but Kay Warren talks about the two train tracks that go through our lives. It's the good stuff and the not so good stuff. And usually it goes at the same time. It's not like we have a season where it's horrible and then a season where it's brilliant. It's usually all of our seasons are normally tinged with both. And, and I want us to consider this morning this whole subject of suffering. This whole subject, is, it's not one of those Storm Joe subjects, is it? It's not one of those, you know, you know, jump up and down on the stage kind of subjects. But actually, it's something that we need to, to think about and talk about and, and look into because it's what will anchor our faith. Yeah. Because the reality is this, that if we've never been through suffering, we will do at some point. The reality is if we're not going through something right now, something will come at some point. It's life. It's what happens. It's the circumstances of the world in which we live. And I want to say this morning that actually when we, when we will open the conversation, and that's what I want to do this morning. This isn't a once and for all preach on this. This is a conversation starter. When we open the conversation to this, we have a chance of anchoring our faith for when those times come. It's when we don't open the conversation, and, and actually, I, I need to apologize. Actually, sometimes as charismatic Christians, we're not great at opening this conversation, are we? We're not great at doing this because we want to, and you know, all things work together for good, and let's just go straight to that, and let's miss out the stuff that we're going through. But I want to say this morning, let's open the conversation. And what I want to bring this morning is something very different. It's something that I've really studied and really kind of looked into, um, especially for part of it, and when, when we're beginning to talk about the journey of suffering, because actually some of us will be on it for longer than others. Some of us seem to have short stints of suffering, and then life goes great for a long time. And there are other people that I know that have been on this journey a long time. And, uh, and it's a tough journey, and it's a hard journey. And this morning, I want to look 
maybe it's some ways that we can go through this journey together, go through it not just individually but corporately. And so I want to answer or try and answer two questions this morning. That's all I'm, I'm wanting to do. The first question is this, why do good people suffer? I think it's a question we, we've got, to, and, and I do not know all the answers. Can I just put that out there straight away? Okay, I am not going to come up with every theological answer. What I am going to do at the end is give you a really good book to read, okay, and, uh, which is where I, I've, I've learned a lot about this kind of thing. So why is it that good people suffer? And then the second question is, how do we deal with suffering? How do we go on the journey of suffering? And, uh, and you know, what does that look like in the context of a church? Let, I, I want us to consider it this morning. And some of my, maybe some of my considerations you might be able to add to at some point. Uh, maybe I'll add to them. I know I very much think differently about it now than what I did 20 years ago, than what I did probably 10 years ago. I think about it very differently. But this morning, I simply want to open the conversation with two questions. And so the first one was, why do good people suffer? There are good people all over our world today, people with faith and people without it who suffer. They suffer with illness. They suffer with finance. They suffer with relationships. They suffer in a world that is cruel. They suffer, they suffer in a world that's cruel. And, and if, you know, we, we, if you've been on social media this weekend, um, you know, there's a lot of stuff going around about how cruel social media is and, and how people, people are taking their own lives because of, of what is said about them on social media and all that kind of stuff. And, and we live in a world that, um, that has a great deal of suffering. You know, we live in a world, and, and whatever our, our political kind of persuasion is, we live in a world where people are suffering. And we live in a world where people are finding it hard. And this was never God's plan. God's intention was never, let's create a world where everyone suffers. <laughs> God is a God of love, and I know that that can seem hard to take sometimes when we look at our TV screens or our friends are going through stuff or our family are going through stuff. But uh, God's plan was never suffering. It was never illness. It was never lack. But the world in which we live has created a place now where suffering exists in all kinds of forms. This world is, has been, you know, this world has created within itself a place where suffering exists, where people live in lack. People in our community live in lack. People live in slavery of every kind. People live with illness, both physically and mentally. And none of this was God's plan when He created the world. None of it. And so why is it good people suffer? I've just got three offerings to put into the melting pot this morning. These are not the only three, but uh, they're the three that I felt um, to bring. And the first one was that pe good people suffer because of sin. You know, when, when God made the world, he made it perfect and he made man and he, and he made woman and, and he made them perfect. And then Eve, if you, if you know your Bible and you've read Genesis, she, she kind of took the apple, gave it to Adam, Adam bit it. And, uh, and all of a sudden, their minds were open to good and evil, to right and wrong. And all of a sudden, everything God had created was spoiled. And when sin entered the world, so did suffering. And because God is not a God who is going to control everything, and that, by the way, is through choice, not through capability, God could control everything. God could come and wipe and obliterate the earth and start again. He could do that, but actually God gave us free will. And so when sin entered the world, so did suffering. And when sin came into the world through Adam, the world changed. And we now live in a world where suffering exists. And we're knowing and believing in a loving God, even though the world he created isn't loving in many ways. God is still love. 
even though sin entered the world, and that is why you know, suffering exists. That is the, the basic reason why it exists. And, and, but God is still a loving God. He's still the same God that created the world for us to enjoy and for us to live in and for us to, to make our livelihood from. The, the, the same loving God who created that, who walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day, the same God who, who gave us this incredible world to live in is still a loving God. In fact, he's not just a loving God. He is love. God is love. It's not a characteristic. It's who he is. It's not just something he does. It's who he is at his very core. But when sin entered the world, this loving God that created it could no longer just come and be a part of it like he had been. All of a sudden, there was something separating man from God. And then the only way that God could find to to kind of remove that was when he sent Jesus. And Jesus kind of bridges, we've already sang it this morning, bridges the chasm between us and God. But why do do bad things happen to good people? They happen because we live in a fallen world. We live in a sinful world. We live in a world where, where sin at the moment is, I know that God ultimately reigns, but sin at the moment is taking over our world and our society. And that is one of the reasons why suffering exists. Why else do good people suffer? I, I have to be absolutely honest with you. Some of, some of the things I'm talking about, I have struggled with. Okay, so I'm not up here. I'm not just giving you a theological answer, but some of the things I, I've struggled with, okay? And the, the second reason why a lot of the time we look at good people, especially within a church context, especially, you know, with, within a, a global Christian context, a lot of the time people can suffer is because actually our faith can bring suffering. Suffering can be a sign of actual genuine devotion to God. And we find this hard because we see it as a negative. The the early church didn't see suffering as a negative in the way that we do. The early church actually saw it as a way to give glory to God, as a way to bring him glory. You know, we're told along with our faith will come suffering and persecution and all kinds of things. But get this, Romans 8, 28, which is, you know, the the chapter that we're looking at where it looks at suffering says this, that God will make all things work together for our good. Whether that be here or whether that be in eternity, God will make all things work together for our good. We often see suffering as punishment, not promotion. We see it as an obstacle, not a possibility. And I get that because I do. Okay, and I've been um, I've been kind of reading up uh, a book that I'm going to tell you about at the end, uh, which is about the book of Job, and uh, just you know the, the person who wrote that and who has been speaking on it, talking about sometimes suffering is a promotion, it's not a punishment, and we find that so incredibly difficult, don't we? You know, because as a parent, you know, when when my you know when my my kids are, su- are suffering when they don't get the Xbox or whatever, it's a punishment, it's not a promotion. You know, and the way that our world is wired and our society is wired, we're wired to punishment when, when, when things seem negative. They're, they're not a promotion. They're not a chance to prove ourselves. They're not a chance to um, let faith grow. It's actually a punishment from God. And we often question why me and want to blame God for what we're facing, although very human reactions. There is a sense in which I think we need to find faith in the middle of our struggle. And if If you want to go away and read a good book on this, it's about in the middle of your Bible, and it's a book called Job. 
And uh, if there was ever a man to read about, about this, he is the man to read about. Job was a righteous man. Job, we're told, was faithful. Um, and today we have this amazing book in which we see some ways that we can handle our suffering and pain. But Job, the reason that Job entered into the, the time of suffering was because of his faith. It was because of his standing in God. It's because the enemy came and said, who can I go after? And God said, you, you can go after Job. And God let him go so far. And, and if I'm honest, the human part of me really struggles with that. Really finds that difficult. But God was confident in the fact that Job would still come out faithful. And I want to say this, that God already knew the chapter after the suffering of Job's life. He had already seen all that Job would accomplish and all that he would be. But I've been struck again this week about with a verse, bang smack in the middle of the book of Job. And Job is going through everything that he is going through, and he's had everything taken from him, everything that this world would say um, is, is important. It had all been stripped from him. It had all been taken from him, and his livelihood as, and he was ill. And, you know, I mean, if, if, you, want, if you want a good episode of EastEnders, right, the book of Job... Okay, and uh, slightly, if you read it in that tone, slightly depressing. All right, but in the middle of the book of Job, this is what Job says in Job 19, 25. It says this, that Job said, I know, I know. I love that in the middle of his suffering, in the middle of what he was finding hard, these words came out of his mouth, I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end he will stand on the earth. This wasn't a declaration after the suffering had passed. This was right in the middle of it. Sometimes we suffer because of our faith and we suffer because of, of, our, of our faith in God and our Christianity. And in the middle of Job doing that, he says, I know my Redeemer lives. I know it. I know it. I know it. I don't feel it. My life doesn't show it. Okay? If you looked at my life now, my life doesn't scream of the goodness of God. In fact, it probably screams of the other side of it. But this is, get this, you know, to the friends who were kind of coming in and talking to him. I know that my Redeemer lives. And I know that in the end, he will stand on the earth. And then he continues and says this, And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh, I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes. I am not another. How my heart yearns within me. He knows that actually his suffering can bring him to a point where he sees God in a whole new way. He knows that his Redeemer lives and he knows that one day he is going to see him. And if you, read, if you read that verse, Job kind of eludes, it's not, I'm not just talking about eternity, but I'm actually talking in my flesh, I will see God. I will see him in the middle of all of this. And you know what? I think we need to begin to trust that God will never allow us to go down a road where he can't sustain us, where he can't take care of us or where he can't bring some good out of the path that we are on. So sometimes we suffer because of faith and we look around our world today and in other parts of our world, people are suffering because of their faith. And sometimes that's a hard thing to swallow. But the early church, if you read you know, the book of Acts, if you read the, the epistles that the apostle Paul wrote in the New Testament, actually they count persecution as a promotion, not as a negative. And then the third reason why good people suffer is that the enemy brings suffering. Let's not forget who is the author of suffering. 
Let's not forget where it comes from. We have an enemy that who wants us to be brought down, who hates it when in the middle of life happening, we find faith and begin to declare God's goodness. Let's not forget who the author of suffering is. And I was thinking about this yesterday as I was kind of concluding what I wanted to say today. You know, the, the enemy schemes against us. You know, God gave the enemy permission to test Job, but it was Satan who was the author of what happened. God did not write what happened to Job. The enemy was the author of it. God allowed it, and and, and we have to try and get our heads around that, and God being a loving God and, and all of that, God allowed it, but he didn't write it. So maybe some of the things that we go through in our life, maybe, you know, the, the, the road, the path that maybe we're on today, maybe there's something in your life today. The author of suffering is never God. The author of suffering is Satan himself. So often we blame God when actually all suffering, all pain has one author and his days are numbered. But right now we see his destruction all over the world. But his days are numbered because we know who reigns, don't we, this morning? If you follow Christ this morning, you know, there might be stuff going in our lives, but ultimately we know that he has the last word. Ultimately, we know that the moment God said enough is enough over Job's life, enough was enough, and the enemy had to flee, the enemy had to back off. And you know, I think sometimes in our life, I've seen it in my situation, God goes, enough is enough. Right, we need to let the enemy back off now. I remember um, when, when I went through my marriage breakdown, and, and I just believe that, you know, the, the kind of week when I found out what was going on um, in that, I believe it was God going, enough is enough. She's not going down this path anymore. Enough is enough. And when God says that, things change. But this morning, there is only one author. There is only one author of what is wrong in the world, and that isn't God. God is all loving. He is all powerful, but he has given us free choice. He has given man free reign. Okay. And the Bible tells us that actually on this earth, that the enemy is going is to have a bit of a reign, but in the end, it is going to be God. When God says enough is enough, whether that is over our world or whether that is over your circumstances and your life, I am telling you things will change. So kind of my three offerings, if you like, on why do good people suffer is through sin, Sometimes it's through our faith, but it's all because of the world that we live in and the enemy that we fight, who is the author of everything that is wrong. There are loads of other reasons why good people might suffer. You you could go on forever, but I don't have forever. And uh, so we're going to move on to how do we deal with suffering? And uh, this is where I want to bring maybe some teaching that that we're not kind of always used to in our style of church. How do we deal with suffering? And my answer is probably totally different today than 20 years ago. You know, there are so many pointers in scripture as we watch stories unfold of those going through stuff in life and going through stuff in their faith that I think help us to learn maybe some ways that we can deal with the things that we go through. And uh, the first point I want to make, and this is something I have never preached on before, I'm preaching on a whole new subject right now, okay, is that there has to be a place to lament. And sometimes we struggle with that as penties, don't we? Okay, and uh, let's go grab the Bible verse and, you know, begin to scream it all the louder and, and all of that kind of stuff. And, and you know what? There is a place for that. There is a place for, it, for interceding. There is a place for travailing before God. There is a place for coming and declaring the word of God. Nothing that I'm saying here detracts from actually me believing that that is worthwhile and that is something that we should do. But there has to be a place 
where we can lament. And often we struggle with this. And sometimes it's easier to cover things up with a victory scripture or a victory shout than actually to face reality. But I think the Bible does both of these things really well. And what I want to do this morning is take us on a journey um, of how it does that. A lot of the scriptures that we use have come out of times of lamenting, out of times of struggle. The book of Psalms is a collection of poems showing how its writers go through life happening. And a big percentage of those psalms are called psalms of lament. So what does the word lament mean? Okay, The word lament means a passionate expression of grief, regret, or sorrow, or it means simply a complaint. Okay, that's the, what, what the word lament means. Okay, and this is usually in the form of a poem or song, and the Bible is full of it. <laughs> you know, the, you, you read through your Bible the book of Lamentations. Let's just think about that for a moment. Okay, the, the kind of clue is in the title. All right, it, it's a lament. It's a, this is what's happening in life right now, and uh, and what I want to do is take us through. Um, how lamenting is used in the Bible. A lot of the Psalms are the complaint or the expression of grief from the writer. They often start with the complaint and take us on a journey of what has gone wrong, but they usually end with a statement of faith. And and what I want to do this morning is take us through typically what lament is. And I've got a bit of a challenge for us after this little bit, okay? So if you read the book of Psalms, I love Psalms. Psalms is probably one of my favorite books in the Bible. I love it. And, uh, you know, a lot of my journey in life, I've journeyed alongside Psalms. And I'll take a Psalm into a, into a season with me or into a year with me. And, uh, and if you've never read the, the Passion Translation, I love the Passion Translation, especially the book of Psalms. It's absolutely incredible. But when we think of a lament or expressing grief, sorrow, regret, etc., it probably doesn't look like the lament in Psalms. So I want to take you through five things that happen when the psalmist begins to lament, okay? Firstly, a lament typically opens with an address, okay? For example, Psalm 44 verse 1 simply says this, Oh God, that's how it starts, okay? There is an address to God. There is an address, and you will usually get the tone of the psalm from the address that it has at the beginning, Okay, so it kind of comes, oh God, you know, and, and by that, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not being you know, disrespectful to God. This is how the psalm begins. It addresses God. It brings him right into the focus and into the issue. Psalm 22 begins with this, my God, my God. So many of the psalms, they address God. You see, I think the first place, if we are going to go on a journey, if, if life is happening to us right now, we're going to go on this journey of lamenting. And I think it's something that is very powerful The first thing we need to do is bring God into the situation. Because they're they're not kind of coming, you know, in in, in a horrible way to God. They're coming and they're inviting him in to the issue that they're going through. They're coming and saying, my God. And, and, you know, one of the Psalms says this, my God, you know, why have you forsaken me? Why has shame come on me? Why has this happened? But actually they're bringing God into the issue. The first thing that they're doing is crying out to their father in heaven. Then a psalm of lament will contain a complaint. Okay, Psalm 44 says this, Yet for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. They bring a complaint to God. They start by inviting him into the situation, and then they bring a complaint to him. The psalms don't ignore the reality. They speak about the reality. You know, sometimes when we come to God, we need to learn to talk to God about the reality of our lives. 
Thirdly, then, a request to God for help will be found in a psalm of lament. Psalm 44 verse 23 says this, Awake, Lord, why do you sleep? Rouse yourself. Do not reject us forever. Do you know what I think that we can bring our request to God, even if that request is, God, will you wake up? God, I can't find you right now. God, will you come and show yourself to me? You know, we've addressed God. We've brought our complaint. And then we come and and we ask God to do something for us. And a lot of us might stop there. But I want to say there are two of the things that happen in a psalm of lament. The fourth thing is this, that the psalm of lament will incorporate an affirmation of trust in God. Often remembering his previous acts of faithfulness. Psalm 13 verse 5 says this, but I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. Do you know what? Our request or our complaint doesn't cancel out God's power, but it invites his power into our reality. And so we come, Storm Joe's on a way. We come and, and, and we kind of bring, you know, that kind of request to God. We, we, we bring that request and then we say, and God, you know what? I'm going to trust you with my request. I'm going to trust you. I've brought my complaint. I've brought my request. I am now going to trust you. And finally, a psalm of lament will contain a glorious vow of praise to God. Psalm 13 verse 6 says this, I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. So the lamenting is not just about, you know, coming and being depressed. It's not a depressive thing at all. A lament is actually a journey. It's a journey from grief to praise. It's a journey from this is what's going on to God, I trust you in the middle, to God, will you answer this, to God, I praise you. It is a journey. It's not a destination. Lamenting isn't a destination. And I've always kind of gone, oh, don't know any of that lamenting stuff. I'm a Pentecostal. Let's just, you know, speak in tongues a bit and, um, you know, and all, all things work together for good and let's go. But actually lamenting is a journey. It's a journey from this is my reality to this is my God. And actually, I think when, when we're looking at how we suffer and, and how to go through the journey of suffering, I think this plays a part. I think it plays a part individually and it plays a part corporately for us. I think as we work our way through a psalm, the different parts to it wouldn't have just been moments, but would possibly have been days or seasons in the writer's life. It doesn't mean that we go through stuff really quickly, but it does, however, give us a template to work through. So I've got a challenge for you, okay? I don't often do this, but I'm going to go for it. Today, what would your psalm include? If you were to write a psalm, in fact, maybe go home and write one. You know, it might not be, it won't be included in the book, okay? But maybe go home and write one. What would your psalm, ha, it, it, you know, may, maybe you're on the mountaintop and your psalm would just be one of praise, but maybe you're going through stuff and actually sometimes to sit down and write. I'm not a big writer. I write sermons, but that's probably all I write. I'm not a massive writer, but sometimes to go through and go, actually, this is my reality. God, I'm, I'm inviting you. This is my complaint. This is my request. This is my vow to trust you, and this is my praise. Maybe to actually go through the journey of that, and maybe, maybe you will just write the invitation today. Maybe tomorrow it will be a different part, or next week will be a different part. But I want to say, what would your psalm include today? So in going through suffering, there has to be a place to lament. Secondly, in our lamenting is where we will find hope. 
I love the hope that the Psalms give us. It takes us on a journey of finding hope and light in dark places, of finding joy in brokenness and allowing God's love to take us to a secure place in him. Our lamenting gives us hope. When we come and we we go through that structure, it actually gives us hope. Lament shouldn't leave us depressed or overwhelmed. Okay, We might feel like that in the middle of it, but when we come through the end of the journey of it, lament should give us hope. It should bring us to a place of hope. And in the Old Testament, there are books that are classed as poetical books. There are five of them. Okay, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Songs. And they all bring a lament, but in the end, they all bring hope. And they all bring hope at different intervals. Job 42, so the last chapter of Job. Job 42 and verse 2 says this, I know you can do all things, God. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. Job comes to the end of his lament, to the end of his journey of suffering and says these words, God, I know you can do all things. Actually, his suffering gave him an anchor to anchor his faith in. It gave him something to put his hope in because at the end of it, he saw God. At the end of it, he found God. After everything Job went through, he could say these words. It brings us, the reader, to a place of hope in our grief, in our questioning, and in our lamenting. Do you know what? Allowing ourselves to lament should always bring us to a place of hope as God's word and his plans are full of that. Whatever it is we've been through, our lament, our bringing our requests before God, and this is what we're feeling right now, should always bring us to a place of hope. And then finally, in our hope, is where we will find our praise. So we go from lamenting to hoping to praising. One leads to another. Suffering to lament, lament to hope, and hope to praise. And this is a journey, not an event. This is not going to just happen in one day. This is a journey. The psalmist praises in the midst of adversity. It doesn't mean he's not real. It just means he has anchored himself in an immovable God with a plan that will bring a season of blessing. This morning, in our suffering, where is our anchor? Where are you anchored? Is your anchor in an immovable God? Whether we're finding it easy or finding it hard, whether we're in a a season of joy or maybe a season of grief or a season of mourning, wherever we are, actually, we can be anchored in an immovable God. Hope is what will take us forward into finding praise, and praise is what will release our fears and armors with powerful declaration. And this morning, you know, as we come, I don't know where you're all at. I don't know where everybody is right now on this topic. But I want to say to you that actually our lamenting will release hope and our hope will release praise. And our praise will bring us into a place where actually when people come in and read verses like, and we know in all things, you know, God works together for good. We don't want to punch them. Because actually sometimes, I don't know if you've ever felt that, but you know, you're going through something and someone comes in with whatever verse it is in the Bible. I love that verse in Romans 8. But whatever verse it is, sometimes you're like, I don't want to hear it. Because I'm not in the place where you're in right now. But I want to say to us this morning, actually, there's got to be a room for a lament. There's got to be a room where hope can again emerge. And then out of that, our praise will come. Praise isn't just noise or loud. Praise is what God inhabits, the Bible tells us. It's where he places his home. And praise isn't just about as being an extrovert. Praise actually sometimes is just in the quietness where we just say, God, 
I vowed that you can use my life and do whatever you want with it. Thank you for what you've done for me. Thank you for what you've brought me through. Thank you for, for the way in which you love me. Thank you for the people you've put around me. It's not always get on a stage and jump about. Praise is more than that. Praise is a reality in the midst of the storm. Praise is the sound of a life that has found hope in the middle of life happening and God being there. You know, we see time and time again how people in the Bible praised God before, during, and after trials. You see, when we have hope, praise won't be far behind. When we have hope, praise will catch us up. When we have hope, when we have given ourselves permission to open this door, live in our reality, but then we have a hope in God who is immovable. We have a hope in God who always has our best at heart. We have a hope in God who brings all things working together for good. When we have a hope in an immovable God like that, praise will not be far behind. But you know what? In those seasons of suffering, our praise takes on a new level. When we have a reason seemingly not to praise, it becomes real, personal, authentic, passionate. And when we praise like this, God's presence invades our lives and our hearts. And we can say, I know my Redeemer lives. And I know that I can have hope in the middle of hopelessness. I think praise releases us into a new dimension in God that then propels us into being who he wants us to be even when trials are happening. How do we go through suffering? We bring our lament. We allow that to release hope. And we allow that to bring praise. And actually, when we do that, God is praised. When we do that, something incredible happens in us. When we do that, something incredible happens in our lives and in the way that we go through life. And something incredible happens when we bring that lament. And I, and I want to say, I'm sorry if, if we sometimes seem to kind of just brush over and be blasé about things that people go through. That's not what we're doing at all. But I want to say this morning, actually, there is a place where we can come and bring our reality. I want to read to you a scripture that I absolutely love. And I've got to find it. And I love this scripture. It's taken me through so many times. It says this. It's talking about Abraham. And it says this, against all hope, Abraham, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him. Against all hope. Abraham, in hope, believed. I love those words because it gives us our reality. And maybe today your reality is difficult. Maybe today your reality is hard. Maybe today you're in the middle of the mess. Abraham, against all hope, in hope, believed. And this morning I want to say to us, you know, let's consider sometimes, let's consider maybe those things that we go through differently. Let's consider you know, what God wants to do in our lives and through our lives. Let, let's consider, let's stop, let's pause, let's think about. Let's consider what God wants to do in us through those times that are really difficult. Because this morning I can tell you that against all hope, in hope you can believe in the one who is immovable, in the one who never leaves you, in the one who is always there, in the one who will give you your heart's desire, the Bible tells us. And this morning, I want to say to you, Generations Church, it's not a subject 
that we kind of dive about the stage preaching on. It's, it's not a subject that we can easily, you know, just kind of bring. But this morning, I want to say to you, wherever you are in the middle of this, God has you. I love the verse in Psalms that says this, that God has us in the palm of his hand. He has you this morning, wherever you are in the middle of whatever life is throwing at you. In the palm of his hand is where you sit. I don't know if you've ever seen the BFG. I don't know if you've ever watched that. And you know, it's about this big giant, the big friendly giant. And there's a bit in the BFG where the kid gets into his hand. And, and when he's in his hand or when he's in his pocket, he's safe. This morning, I'm not saying that God is the BFG. That's not what I'm saying. But just let that picture, he's got you. We are small. He is big. This morning, you're in the palm of his hand. And if in your world there is tough stuff right now, you're in the palm of his hand. And he wants to come and he wants to do something in you today. So I want to pray for us. Is that okay? I'm not going to ask for a response but I'm going to pray and then I'm going to give you two books to read if you want to dig deeper into what I've been talking about. Father, I thank you today that in every season of life, you are with us. In every season of life, you are there. In every season of life, you are immovable. And Lord God, these are truths that we anchor ourselves on today. Lord, I pray today, whatever season we are in, that Father God, as we go through it, that your Holy Spirit will be with us. Lord, I pray that, Lord, for whatever season everyone in this room is in, for those in our kids who might not even, you know, be in here right now, the adults teaching, Lord, I pray some of what we've talked about this morning will get to them as well. Whatever season we're in, Lord God, I pray that we will anchor ourselves, that we will be real, that we will be honest, but that, God, in that honesty, we will find hope, and in that hope, we will find praise. Lord God, thank you today that you are with us in every season. In Jesus' name, amen. For those of you who might want to, Um, Just dig a bit deeper into what I've been talking about. There's a book um, called Why Suffering by a guy called Ravi Zacharias. Brilliant book. He's a a top theologian, apologist. He's absolutely incredible. It's it's brilliant. So if you want to delve a bit more into it, that is a great book. Also, there's a book called Job by Lisa Harper. And uh, I love her teaching style. I love her writing style. And uh, it just goes through the book of Job and explains maybe some of the stuff that he went through and how we can apply some of the things he learned to our lives. So if you need to delve a bit deeper, two great books for you to get and for you to read. God bless you. It's been great having you with us this morning. Thank you.